0: And there's just the most god-awful scream I've ever heard in my life. Just bone-rattling scream. This head kind of pops up and it's looking at us and it's this dark brown, large head. Well, then this thing stood up and it was dead on facing us from 30 to 35 yards away.
1: This is the Cryptid Creatures Podcast. I am Brian, and with me as always is my co-host, Todd. Todd, what a great trip to Oregon we had last week, huh, buddy?
2: Man, it was a great trip. Brian, what do you think about that? We were talking about that. Oh,
1: man. There's nothing more beautiful than those mountains, I me tell you.
2: It's amazing. It's God's country.
1: It is. God's really.
2: Mm-hmm. We got to get out a little bit with our first guest, Adam. Walk around a little bit. Uh,
1: we did. That was fun.
2: Yeah. Got a video that I've got to put on uh, Facebook or whatever, YouTube that, uh, that we recorded. I got to get that out there. Yeah, we'll you, get it out there. The, uh, mm-hmm. the listeners, but, um, yeah, great time, man. I, I miss it already.
1: I know. Me too. Me too. I'm trying to figure out a way to get back there.
2: <laughs> we got out there in the, uh, yeah. Are ya? we got out there in the, uh, the dense forest of the blue mountains, North of Tollgate there. And, um, Oh, yeah. Where Adam's daughter had some kind of sound and, and weird incident going on, and there were some structures going on. But, man, you get out there in that wilderness, it's just, is it not just <laughs> thick and dense? Like, whoa. It's,
1: yeah, and its I can see how it, something could hide from me very easily, like 15, 20 feet away, yeah. even. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Just,
2: and it's creepy a little bit.
1: Yeah, very creepy. <laughs>
2: But hey, enough about us. Let's talk about That's our right tonight. Yeah, we got, yeah, a,
1: we, got a, we got a good one coming on.
2: We got Rob coming on, and Rob is uh, Rob's been around uh, Bigfoot investigations he's, for a while.
1: Yeah, he's been doing a lot of stuff with the BFRO, and
2: yep. he's uh, got some experience. So, yeah. uh, worked with John Green. If people know who John Green are, That's back right? In the day. One yep. of the yep. original if you don't know, Bigfooters. Look it up. Yeah, yeah, you should know. But anyway, <laughs> let's not waste any more time. Let's bring Rob on.
0: Heck yeah, let's get him.
2: Rob, how good. you doing, man?
0: Yeah, right on. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to.
2: So, Rob, uh, before we get started here, I was reading your bio, and you've done some interesting things uh, in your past, and you've had, some, uh, you've had more than one in, one encounter for sure. Um, says, Harry, you had your first encounter in 1969, but before we get started, where, you, where are we talking to you from?
0: I'm in uh, Snohomish, Washington, Snohomish. about uh, 30 miles north of Seattle.
2: Okay, gotcha. So you're close to the Olympic, Olympia National Park. Is that right? No,
0: actually, I'm on the uh, I'd be on the east side of Hood Canal. I'm actually in the foothills of the Cascades.
2: Okay, is that where oh, you're wow. from? Okay.
0: No, I'm actually from Seattle originally. Gotcha.
2: And um, where did your first encounter happen at? Was it that area?
0: This was, no, this happened up in a, outside of a town called North Bend, Washington, which is about 32 miles east of Seattle. <clears throat> and North Bend is a small little town, um, logging community, and its prominent feature is called Mount Si, S-I, and it happened on the backside that would be the north side of Mount Si.
2: How old were you when this encounter happened? 15. Right. Well, why don't you tell us what was going on that day, what you were doing, and uh, talk about the encounter in in detail as much as you can, and let's hear what you got to say about that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, sure. So, you know, it was the late 60s. All these little Honda motorcycles were popular. Everybody was getting them. Uh, My grandfather bought the first one in our block. Then my dad had to buy one, and then I had to get two paper routes to save up and buy one. And and we used them to run around for... uh, For elk hunting to get further back in the woods than most guys would go and then for uh, carrying out quarters of elk and saving our backs. Well, a lot of my friends were getting these bikes too and we were talking uh, one day around school about, you know, we needed to go somewhere with these. There really wasn't a place to ride them in Seattle as you can imagine. So having spent a lot of time up in this area of North Bend with my dad, we'd go up there fishing all the time, hiking up and down the, the little creeks and beaver ponds and what have you. And my dad and I had ridden around, ridden around up in there quite a bit. So I asked my dad, would he be willing to haul a couple of us up there and drop us off? And and he was, and he just needed to schedule a time for it. And my buddy Rich, his dad, agreed to do the same thing. So we finally put it together for, it was towards the end of July. Uh, it was after the 21st, I know that, because I got the new sprocket for my motorcycle on the 21st and put that on for the trip. So there were five of us that went, four of us had motorcycles. The fifth guy we decided he was small enough that we could alternate riding him around and it wouldn't be a problem. And we were going for three days. So our dads took us up, dropped us off on a Saturday morning at the old gravel shooting pit there. Now that property was all loaned by and managed by Warehouser, and it went all the way from I-90 outside of North Bend all the way to Stevens Pass off Highway 2, a great amount of territory. But Weyerhaeuser was usually really good about allowing people almost unrestricted access to this area. So the dads dropped us off. We went off riding around. And the first main gate we came to, uh, we were notified at that gate by the signage that the area was closed due to fire danger. Well, now we're kind of stuck. Our dads are gone. We're out here. We don't have, we're not street legal. We can't go anywhere else. So we decided to risk it anyway. And we ducked the bikes under the gate and went off and rode around for a little while, looking for a good place to be. And uh, found that at the, at the base of Mount Si, which would be on the west slope, there was a spur road, a spur logging road that went down into a replant area. And the trees were all about eight, 10 feet high, quite bushy. And we thought that'd be perfect. We could stash the bikes in there. <clears throat> we could set up camp. Nobody would ever know we were there as long as we didn't have a campfire. So that's what we did. And um, we you know, just kind of goofed off around there that afternoon and finally turned in for, for bed that night. No campfire. And we all had these little cheapo plastic tube tents we got at the local Five and Dime store. They were green, so they would kind of blend us in there. And there was frogs on the other side of this road from us in this little runoff ditch croaking. And it was just really a nice, peaceful, warm night. And all of a sudden, the frogs quit. And I was a little unnerved by that. And then I could hear this kind of crunching, crunch, crunch, crunch coming down the road. And it sounded like a guy, a big guy walking down the road. And I thought, doggone it, we're busted. And so my buddy Rich was on one side of me. And I said, Rich, who's that coming down the road? He said, I don't know. Just be quiet. So whoever it was uh, walked up to the opposite side of the tree of this uh, uh, little uh, belt of trees from us and just stopped. I mean, right just outside our, our tents there. And it stood there for quite a while. And, I, you know, I started getting nervous. And so I had my hatchet handy and I kind of crawled down in my sleeping bag with my hatchet, figuring I'd put up a fight from there if anybody got me. And uh, pretty soon they walked off. Well, the problem was, That road dead-ended about uh, maybe 400 feet from where we were. There was nowhere else to go once you started down that road. But whoever it was walked down that road, and I could see out from the, the tent, there was no flashlight or lantern or anything carried by whoever was going down the road. And then they walked off into the woods, and there was all kinds of snapping and cracking and popping and racket of this guy or this thing going through the brush. So we all, once we heard that, we all started talking again, and we got kind of nervous about it, but somehow we put it off and went back to sleep. Well, in the morning we got up, and the plan was to go up to the backside of Mount Si, There was a kind of a bowl on the backside of the mountain and a beaver pond in there, and this neat little creek that flowed out of there. My dad and I had fished it. It, it had all kinds of nice little brook trout always in it. So we went up there. And you had to know where the creek was. You parked again on this old side road and you had to go through the brush maybe 50 to 60 feet to get to the creek itself. So we got in there and we all rigged up our little fishing poles and started fishing. And I started moving downstream, going hole to hole. I wasn't too far from everybody. I was maybe, um, I don't know, maybe 35, 40, 45 yards at most from everyone. And I was just dropping a single leg into this little pool in the stream in this Creek. And there's just the most God awful scream I've ever heard in my life. Just this tremendously powerful, just bone rattling scream. And it, it stunned me. I, I mean, I just didn't know what to do after that. I, I just stood there for, I don't know, several, several minutes. It felt like, and then I realized I needed to be back upstream with my buddies. So I took off and I ran it, ran up to him. And when I got there, the four guys were standing and looking at this hillside. And I'm asking, you know, what the heck was that? What was that? And then the scream came again. And I, it was the exact same scream as the first time. And it sounded like almost like an elephant trumpeting and then falling off into a lion's roar. It was just I've never heard anything like that, even since I have heard anything like that. So we're looking at this hillside, trying to figure out where this is coming from. And we see that there's a stump. And on this stump is a huckleberry bush. The red huckleberries grow commonly up there. And this arm comes out, like the right arm, it comes out and it kind of sweeps the brush aside. And this head kind of pops up over the this, this stump or the snag. And it's looking at us. And it's this dark brown, large head. And then it settled back down and released the brush. So Wayne decides he's had enough, so there's this big rock in front of us, and he jumps up on that, and he screams and hollers and waves his arms. Well, then this thing stood up, and it was dead on facing us from 30 to 35 yards away on this open hillside. And it stood there looking at us, and it gave one more big scream, and then it turned to its left, which would be our right, and just walked off into the woods some 75 yards distant and we watched that thing walk across and it never did look back at us but once it disappeared we felt we had to get out of there <laughs> so that's when we got on those poor little bikes and just wound them up tighter than drums racing down off that mountain <clears throat> we got back down to the bottom decided that uh, we needed to pack up camp and get out of there and so that's what we did we went back and packed up camp and then uh, moved on down the road, spent the rest of the day riding around trying to find people to camp with. And I don't know, I should probably take a break there in case you have questions.
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah, Yeah. we got questions. Um, yeah. I don't know where to start. That's an awesome encounter, uh, first of all. Um, before we get into really the details, did you guys notice any kind of smell while you guys had that encounter?
0: No, not at all. That came later. And I never I didn't even equate the the smell to these creatures until many years afterwards. But but no, at that time at that spot, no smell at all.
2: Right. Hmm. And when you guys were sleeping in the tents the night before, mm-hmm. you didn't smell anything either as you heard something walking around.
0: Right, yeah, no smell, nothing. Gotcha. Okay. Huh.
2: Um, so what did you see? What can you tell us what the the face looked
0: like? You know, after all these years, I'm still trying to remember the face, and I don't know why I maybe blocked it out. All I remember was, I guess I was looking more at the, the size and the musculature of this thing. Uh, you know, I do know I did clearly see a kind of a conical head, that, that sagittal crest type head, and I could see a very prominent brow ridge. but other than that, I, I should have been able to see more because the sun would have been over its, sun should have been over its right shoulder at that time of morning at that location. But I just don't recall any other details about the face. I just remember this thing that was, well, at the time we guessed it was maybe seven and a half to eight feet tall and later John Green corrected me on that. But but it was just enormous shoulders and it just looked like just this huge bodybuilder. This one, it tapered down at the hips significantly and below that we couldn't see because that's where the the brush was.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you? Um, well, you when you looked at that thing, maybe you were just in shock. First of all, that's why you couldn't, um, you know, remember so much. You're trying to take everything in. What is this thing? Yeah. How many seconds do you think you were looking at this thing before it walked off?
0: Probably. Well, it felt like three days, but probably it was uh, uh, total time looking at it and watching it walk. 12 to 15 seconds
2: so after after this happened you guys you said you guys got on your bikes and got the hell out of there Um, went back to look for other people to camp with until you went home did you tell anybody what you saw
0: oh yeah we first people we told we probably shouldn't have we scared the hell out of them Um, like I said there were campgrounds up in there I knew where they were we went to them there was nobody there everybody was you know obeying the fire danger signs. So we came back there was a little suspension bridge across the north fork of the Snoqualmie River and it was just a, a footbridge but we often rode our motorcycles across it. And as we were coming down to the bridge, you ride across a clear cut and then the trail gets a little technical as it gets down to the bridge. And as we were coming to that to that end of the bridge, that's when I got we got the smell and I remember just about the time I smelled it, Rich, who was in front of me, I heard him hit the throttle and go racing off through there. When I, hit, when I smelled the smell, then I took off out of there as well, and so did the two guys behind me, and we mm-hmm. just flew across the bridge, and it smelled, it was just awful. I mean, it smelled like somebody had maybe taken their their camper in there and dumped two months' worth of sewage out of their black tank or something, I, but there was no way that it, I, you couldn't. I mean, it was just a trail. There was no road through there. But we got across a bridge on the other side. There was a car, uh, a young guy, probably he's older than us, early 20s, and two girls with him. They had a tent set up and they had a campfire going. So we all came racing into the poor guy, jumped off our bikes and started, you know, yelling at him. You know, you got a gun? If you got a gun, and uh, <laughs> put a little panic into him Why are these crazy kids asking me about a gun. But he says, "Well, yeah, I got a 22." And we said, "Well, great. Can we stay with you tonight?" <laughs> 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 and you yeah, guys- he said, yeah sure so we started setting our camp back up again of course nothing to tie the tents to so we had to sleep out on the ground but as we were telling our story to him and his girlfriend and her friend all of a sudden the girls didn't want to be outside anymore so they slept in the car and poor <laughs> dude had to sleep in the tent by himself he wasn't too happy with us but uh so the next morning We decided we couldn't be in the woods anymore. We couldn't wait for our dads to come get us. And we just had to break the law and try and ride into town and call them from there. And that's what we did. So uh, Dennis, the guy without the motorcycle, uh, uh, rode with me. Uh, Steve, his bike was in the back. He rode in the back of the truck with his bike and my bike. And Dennis and I were telling my dad the whole way home about this thing. In that area, that road goes, uh, the main road in goes for, I think it's 24 miles back. And it dead ends at a place called, uh, uh, Sunday Creek. And there was a hermit who lived back there. He was an old miner. And I don't know where all, what all mines he had, but I know where one shaft was that he abandoned. It was only about a hundred feet deep and it obviously didn't pay off, but we'd see him up there. My dad and I ran across him. Gee, almost every time we went up there, we'd see him out walking on the road, coming going to town or coming back from town. Um, and so my dad said, well, that's that's what you saw. You just saw, you know, like that guy. I can't remember what his name was. You saw that guy. You know, he was all hairy and wore lots of clothes. And I said, Dad, <laughs> no man can yell like that. No man's eight feet tall and, you know, four or 500 pounds. That wasn't, that wasn't a guy. So he didn't want to believe us. Well, when we got home, a couple of days later, I told my grandfather about it. He just lived two doors up from us. And my grandfather's telling me the same thing. Well, what you saw was just some crazy old hermit, like old uh, uh, John Turno, the Wild Man of the Olympics. You know that guy wore the clothes from everybody he killed, and he—he um, he was quite <laughs> scary vision. Uh, vision. And I said, no, it, it wasn't a man. I don't know what this thing was. And you know, we all talked about it, and nobody believed us. And it wasn't really all that long before we just didn't even talk about it anymore. Although the one thing that did happen that was kind of strange, one of the guys, we all saw it as dark brown. One of the guys said it was white. We were arguing amongst ourselves, no, it wasn't white. It was dark brown. And and years later, after going through training as an investigator and police officer and all this, I came to realize that that witnesses, sometimes when when they're shocked, when they see something that shocks them, their mind goes to something familiar. Well, not long before we did this trip, we had all watched a movie that had come out recently called The Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas. And, of course, they were all white in that. And so I think that that Rich drew that that comparison or, or that movie image forward to help him deal with what he was seeing. Right. Anyway. Uh, but it was a long time. I mean... Just, just nobody believed us. It was always a wild man, an old hermit. It was up there. It was an mm-hmm. unknown cryptid of some sort.
2: That's an awesome uh, encounter for sure, Rob. Yeah, but also in your bio, it says you worked for John Green from 1972 to 1980. Why don't you tell us how you met John and how you got into that? And for the yeah, listeners and, and everyone else, uh, John Green was a journalist and a researcher, uh, one of the, the first Bigfoot... Um, Main four, I guess, one of those main four guys that started that out there in California. But how did you run into him
0: in um, nineteen? Oh gosh, it had to be. It was early nineteen seventy two. My grandfather, who who still didn't believe me, ran across some books in a bookstore over far off the. He lived along lived on the Olympic Peninsula at that time. And he sent these books to me, and it was three books written by a man named John Green. And I remember it was a red-covered book, a yellow-covered book, and a blue-covered book. And they were like 8 by 10 pages, maybe 100 pages per book, um, on the trail of the Sasquatch, here, the Sasquatch, and I don't remember the title of the third one. But my grandfather sent those to me, and reading the first one, now I know what it is I saw. I know that there's somebody who believes it. I know that many others have experienced these these things as well. So I wrote John Green a letter and said, you know, I just finished reading your books. I think they're great. Um, We had an experience, my friends and I, that that, uh, no one else believed. But, you know, the subject is just what you've written about. Love to talk to you about it. So he wrote back a letter and said, well, you've. we were living in Bellevue at the time. He said, since you're in Bellevue, I have a friend named Nick, and I won't say his last name, in Bellevue and I'd like you to go meet with him first. And, and, uh, cause I can't get down there right now. So I contacted this Nick and he was a little bit older than, than my dad. Um, and, and Nick took a, a report from me. John Green had a report for him at of use. So Nick filled that out. And we drank coffee, had a good visit. Nick believed in Bigfoot as well and told me a little bit more about what he thought of him. Well, then a couple of months later, John Green came down, and I get this call from Nick. Hey, John's here, and he wants to meet you. So I went back to Nick's house, and and John and I went over the report again. But the best thing that ever happened to me in this whole field and all the time I've spent investigating and talking with other people, John brought with him the Patterson-Gimlin film and a little 8-millimeter projector. And it was John's copy, an original edition, first-gen copy. And we sat there at Nick's dining room table drinking coffee and playing that movie backward and forward, studying all the motions and the movements, and it, it was amazing. I mean, I I was just so privileged to see that. I, I can't tell you. Um, oh, but man. there it was in real life what we had seen three years before, only a female version of it. So, and then that was when John kind of used his body ratios uh, to tell me that, you know, asking me how high the brush was on us and how high it was on that, and And then he corrected me at my seven and a half, eight foot. And he said, no, I was probably nine to nine and a half feet tall based on the dimensions and proportions you've given us. But so anyway, he asked my fat, asked me if I had any, uh, interest in going back up there. And I really didn't, but he said, I said, I'm working now. I'd, I'd go spend any time up there. I'd have to quit my job, which, you know, hell was pumping gas or something. Not much of a job at the time, but, uh, he said, Well, if I gave you copies of my books to sell, could you go up there for a week or two? And I said, Well, I'd sure give it a shot. So he gave me ten copies of each of the three books. And over the next month and a half I managed, I think I sold five sets. Never did get rid of the I never did get rid of all of them that way. But it was enough that I could put gas in the car and and uh, food in the trunk, and a buddy and I went up there, and we spent actually eight days we got out of it uh, going around that area. And I want to back up here because John Green was an advocate of killing a Sasquatch, and I, I was all in favor of that. If something's going to terrify me that bad, I want to shoot it. <laughs> you know. But I didn't think that, uh, given its size, it would succumb to a standard rifle bullet, but John was convinced that any modern hunting rifle would, put it down and it was okay to kill one so that that kind of gave me some I guess courage uh, to go back up there so we spent eight days up there we did see something at quite a distance couldn't tell what it was might just very well have been a bear but it was out in the open Um, it was really too far to get even much detail with my binoculars we did find three different sets of tracks Um, two of them were in in kind of moldy leaf duff And it looked like an adolescent and probably a a female, you know, parent. And then we found the tracks of one big boy um, up on the hill. Uh, So we did photograph those. I sent those pictures off to John. Um, And so from there on out, John would call if he heard of something uh, down this way. Um, I think the most notable one I did for him was the Puralup Screamer. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. Mm -mm.
2: No, we haven't.
0: Okay. So it was one of the earliest uh, vocalization recordings and many analysts have later said it was a coyote and then someone else will come back and counter them and say, no, that's, uh, you know, comparative analysis rules it out as being a coyote. It's something much larger, but in the, um, in Puyallup, Washington, which kind of borders up against Fort Lewis and joint base Lewis McCord, um, this thing had been screaming for about a week, and some people recorded it. A state trooper almost hit it as it crossed the road in front of him one night. So, yeah, I investigated that and uh, took my little reel-to-reel tape deck down and recorded their sound from theirs and sent the tapes off to John for that. And so here they are now. But that was it. He'd call every once in a while with something to go, go take a look at. Or if I heard of something, I'd go look at, send him the results.
2: Right. That's, that's cool. awesome, man. I mean, okay. to have that opportunity, uh, not too many people can say that. And, uh, you know, for the listeners out there, I'm sure they're going to appreciate that. You got a you got a chance to do that and work for, for John Green, for those of for those of them who know who he is. And he was one of the original uh, Bigfoot researchers that started the whole phenomenon. I think, Help uh, help get it rolling on a scientific level, I guess, yeah. so to speak, or a journalistic level, if you would. So, um, yeah. I've got so many questions. My mind's going so many different directions, Rob. I tell you, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't focus on one thing. Uh, but I know you've had other things going on. Uh, you're also a researcher for the BFRO, or you were a researcher for the BFRO. Uh, tell us some more stories. What are things uh, did you did you run into?
0: So before I uh, connected with the BFRO, one of the things I'd done was I I bought a tabletop size topographical map of the state and went back through like BFRO databases, books, and I plotted in color by season every sighting or encounter that sounded legit to me on this topographical map. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was actually building an algorithm and what I ended up with was this map that clearly showed migration patterns and time of year and that they follow water drain. They follow drainages. They, they go into these little draws and sometimes deep valleys, wherever there's water, they tend to follow the water source. So they go up in, in the uh, uh, summer and come down in the winter, and they're always on these routes. So I got to look at the numbers of, of sightings in this one particular – looking for. Uh, you know, kind of a congregation of the dots. And I found a place on the backside of Mount Rainier. So, my son, who at that time was was an adult, uh, still is, by the way, uh, <laughs> wanted to go well, squash it with me. And one of my co workers' husbands wanted to go. So, four of us ended up going on this little trip to this area that my, my paper algorithm had said was the right place to be. And uh, we set up camp. And I told the guys, we we got to attract something to us. So I want you guys to go out and walk through the woods, carry rocks, do little three-note whistles, bang the rocks together once in a while, and then, you know, come back. We'll all just meet back here and then decide what we're going to do. But I, I want to – we just have to become an attractant. So we did that, and nothing happened. And then along about midnight, we decided to go for a road walk. Now, when we went, when we drove in – we were busting through the snow ours were the only tire tracks the only tracks of any kind on this dead end road so we knew there was nobody else in there so we walked up to where there was a gate across the road as you know it was midnight the four of us kind of spread out around there and we sat there real quiet waiting for anything to happen and after an hour it was cold enough to leave so we got up and we started to walk back out and all of a sudden this rock came flying out through the trees and you could hear it going through the through the, through the branches and it landed on the road right behind me. I turned around and I looked at this rock <laughs> in there. And and the guys were all, you know, whipping around. And I said, okay, that's cool. It's playing. So let's just keep walking back. You know, we all had headlamps on. I said, keep them on the red light and don't go flashing around the road. Let's just walk back. So we're still walking back to camp and we can hear it. Oh, sorry. before we we could hear it walking beside us, we just started going down the road. And all of a sudden I hear this bump, 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 bump. And I looked back, and that doggone rock was behind me again. not 20 yards from where it first landed. This thing had come out and bowled the rock at me. And it wasn't trying to hit me. I just got the feeling it it was being playful. But it followed us back to camp, and we could hear it paralleling us in the woods getting back. So when we got back to the campfire, we put a little more wood on it, and we sat down. And this thing stuck around for the next couple hours. You'd come around one side of the camp, we'd hear it go through the trees around one side and stand there for a while. you could hear it kind of shift its weight. And it'd come back around the other side. And, God, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'd had enough. So I just went to bed. And I was just crawling into my bag when I heard this loud whack, like a big tree knock, and then all kinds of commotion. And so I'm getting back out of bed, and, uh, you know, looking outside the tent for what's going on. My son comes back, and I said, what the hell was all that about? He said, well, he said, after he did that tree knock, he said, I ran over to take a look at it, and it took off, so I took off after it. <laughs> <I> said, like, <laughs> what? Good thing he didn't catch it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What, what was he planning on doing? <laughs> I, I think he just wanted to get a really good look at it. But wow. Yeah, I don't know. So um, uh, anyway, so that, that was a very interesting thing. I had never had anything thrown at me before or since. Uh, but for it to it just it, playful with us like that, well, then I came to find out, oh, no, I gotta back this up a little bit so then an another guy, a uh, salesman that I, that I dealt with frequently, I was all interested in Bigfoot and when you came to my office, you couldn't help but notice I mean, I had paraphernalia all over in my office when we moved into our new office space, we named two of the uh, conference rooms, Sasquatch one and Sasquatch two, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. There was a bit of a theme going on there, <laughs> so. Um, but the, a couple salesmen I dealt with, one guy became a, a good friend. I'm still in contact with him. Another guy told, related some really interesting stories to me, that I looked into. But, but the the first guy, he knew somebody in the BFRO, and he wanted to plan a trip someplace that he could invite this guy along on, and so we did. And this uh, this guy from the BFRO showed up. Longer story longer, then this guy said, well, you need to come to one of our little group gatherings. And so he invited me and son of a gun, if these guys didn't go right back to the same place where I'd had the rock thrown at me. And and they'd had all kinds of encounters at this location. And they kind of considered that their primary research area. I didn't know we'd stumbled on that. So anyway, uh, you know, they talked me into joining the BFRO and investigating with them. And, and uh, so that's what I did.
2: That's yeah. awesome, man. You've definitely got a lot of uh, Bigfoot experience going on with your yourself for yeah, sure. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> it says your most recent encounter was in August
0: 2020. What yeah. was going on there? Well, the, the foothills of the North Cascades out through Snohomish County and up into uh, Whatcom County, it's it's always been really interesting to me. I mean, I, I love the area. I, my first experience up here, time spent up here, was when I was two years old. My dad loved the Sock River, and he'd bring the family camp in there every year. And I've been camping there since I was, like I said, two. And then when I was nearing retirement, that's when I decided I needed to move a little closer. But, but strange things happen up there. People go missing all the time, and they're never found. Most recently, a young girl went missing uh, two years ago, uh, Samantha Sayers. Uh, she had hiked up uh the sunrise mine trail sunrise mine trail to Vesper Peak and that's the last anybody saw of her. And they did it I, you know search and rescue, I gotta commend them. They really expended a lot of energy looking for there's only so many places she could go and they never found anything. Um, however the road that she had been on, the trailhead there, is where I experienced uh two and I, I will say they're Bigfoot, but I say watches, but I can't prove it. My wife and I heard two of them mumbling one night, back and forth to each other. It was just into the evening, and they were just out of sight. When we would go over to the edge of the hill to look down at them, they'd shut up. As soon as we backed our way, they'd start mumbling again. And that's where the scroll went missing. So I'm not putting two and two and coming up with four, but it's it's an unusual circ- circumstance, I think. Yeah. Um, anyway, that that whole area has it's it's got quite a history of sightings history of strange murders, unsolved murders, history of disappearances. And so I have a real fascination with it, trying to solve it. I mean, is it a bear? Is it just crazy people? Is it angry Bigfoot? What's going on? I don't know. But there was a place there that I'd wanted to get to for a long time. The road had washed out. They closed it. I'm not into hiking 20 miles back into something to look at it. Well, son of a gun, uh, two years ago, they reopened the road. So my wife and I drove up there. And there's this trail that I wanted to go on because one of the a, a veterinarian with the State Department of Fish and Wildlife had an experience there. And I said, i got to go back to that trail. So my wife and I get to the trailhead. We're the only vehicle there. And we start up the trail a little bit. And, and when we get up over the first hump up into the, the trail heading east, it starts to switch back. So it switchbacks north to south. And when it switchbacks to the north, it's actually coming towards this little draw where there's a creek flowing through. And it, just as our, our just as we made think, one, two, the third switch back to the north, there is a little two-note whistle. Um, really high pitched and really low pitched. Now, you know, thrush will do that, but this was not a thrush. It was clearly a pursed lip whistle. I can't even imitate it, but it went just real high and real low. I we all And then we walked back. When we continued and got to the south switchback, there was one over there. It was the same whistle. And this happened to us the next several times. We went back and forth doing these switchbacks. Well, on the last one, on the last switchback to the north, we were kind of on this bench now starting up this ridge. And down in the draw, there was this really weird moan. I mean, it sounded like a woman giving birth. Having heard that with my wife and our own two kids, that's the best I can equate it to—is it just this loud moan. And I thought, well, that's really odd. And uh, so we stood there for a minute or two, seeing if we'd hear anything else, and we didn't. And when we made the last transition to the switchback to the south, and had that two-note whistle, why then the trail was going straight back into up the up the ridge, and nothing else happened. And we got up there in a little ways and. Uh, I have no cartilage left in my knees, so I don't hike too far. Uh, I said that's enough. I need to turn around, and if I'm going to make the walk back to the car, and so I would turn around, and came back. But I, I relate that to an experience because I can't place anything common or known to the whistles or to the to the moan.
2: It sounds like they were alerting uh, each other uh, about you guys and where you guys were at based on what you were driving, maybe they were saying, hey, you know, just come around this tur- turn or he's come around this curve or whatever. Maybe, I don't know. Um, it's weird yeah. that you heard that that way. Yeah. Um, could be. I thought of a question. Back to your first encounter when you talked about the screams, when that happened, did it affect you physically or emotionally?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Emotionally, physically, you could feel it. I mean, it, it, was, it was a lot just so – and I don't know if it was just the sheer volume. Or the uh, something else behind it, but yeah, I mean, you just it, you just felt rattled. You felt like it was your bones vibrating when this thing was screaming,
1: like infrasound.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, Rob, you've had a lot of um experience with with uh, Bigfoot. Um, what's your theory on Bigfoot? What do you think it is?
0: Well, you know. I'm an amateur at most things I do, but I've always had an interest in in archaeology and paleoanthropology. And I think that just recently, uh, there's been some discoveries made that could indicate where where a Bigfoot type creature could have come from. Um, and I think if you look at uh, uh, look up uh, Homo uh, Homo sediba, Australopithecus sediba, and Australopithecus naledi. They're, it's, they're very interesting recent hominid finds. Uh, Professor Lee Berger has found them in, of course, the cradle of mankind in South Africa, where all the best fossils come from. But sediba uh, had the foot bone, the heel bone, that would cause the type of walk that Bigfoot is, is famous for and that Dr. Jeff Meldrum has said would be required for Bigfoot to walk the way it does. The foot structure is right. Um, the rest of the bone structure, length of the arms, all appears to be uh, proportional uh, correctly as well. And we know that uh, Cediba uh, hung out in caves, he took, took shelter in caves. In addition to Cediba, most recently they found Homo naledi, also an australopithecine and the lady is much more human like and it's a, it was a, it's a previously unknown hominid and all indications are it was an ancestor on certainly on the family tree it lived in caves and it buried its dead in caves so i think that if we're looking back throughout the pages of time to find where it came from i think those that sadiba could be a progenitor of it uh, and Naledi could have been that i mean it could in my mind it kind of explains why there could be an ongoing relationship of sorts between sasquatch and humans because you know uh almost a million and a half years ago there was almost a cohabitation
2: right well you're talking about the mid tarsal break, I think was the uh the yeah. foot pattern right. yep that's that's common in apes, I guess mm-hmm. Um if i've if i've um, done my homework properly but um yeah for those things to be found in caves um you know brian and i talk about this all the time we think we think when uh bigfoot creatures can live in caves they do live in caves right um so
0: (laughs) i know that you know uh dr mildrum was all about this this uh, creature being gigantopithecus and and that's what he espoused for quite a while Mm. and um I, always, I was always offended by that because, in my mind, there is no way it could be Gigantopithecus When you follow Bergman's law and Allen's law on the evol- evolution of species, when you look at food sources and gigantipithecus being a specialized feeder, bamboo only, you, you didn't find bamboo in Siberia. You didn't find bamboo in North America. There's no yep. way. Um, and also, the larger it gets, the shorter the legs become. That's common. It's a digestive feeder, so it's, its gut would have made it almost impossible to get around. Um, so I wrote a white paper and sent it over to him, and he never credited me with it, which I didn't expect he would. But all of a sudden, he no longer says Gigantopithecus, and he actually filed, he petitioned the Smithsonian to grant him use of the name Australopithecus boisei. Oh, really? <laughs>
2: so, well,
0: yeah. So he, he's convinced now that it's an Australopithecine as well. Gotcha.
2: So you don't think these things are paranormal or uh, alien related or anything like that? Uh, people talk no. about the lights and all that stuff. What, what's your theory on that?
0: You know, lately I've come to believe that there there are two. There is a natural, earthborn, hairy hominid that we all uh, know so well as Sasquatch, and I think that. Uh, and I keep going out on a limb with this one, but I I think really that there is a second one that's an imposter. It's some other life form that has found it advantageous to assume the form of Sasquatch and whether that's for mobility, for ability to hide, for strength, whatever, I don't know. Um, But when you talk about, people's experiences like uh, are you familiar with Jan Maccabee, wife of optical physicist Bruce, Bruce Maccabee, and what she encountered?
2: I don't think so. No.
0: She had gone out deer hunting one afternoon from their house. She had a stand out on their property and she had climbed up into the stand and she said the woods all of a sudden went very quiet. She started looking around and she saw this shimmering thing going through the trees like predator and she heard this strange sound like wrinkling crackling cellophane
2: i have i'm sorry yes i have heard this story before yes
0: so she got a picture with her camera and supposedly you know professor mackabee had her camera analyzed and it can't possibly take the kind of picture that it did Mm -hmm. but it nonetheless it did so you know people see them coming out of ufos or going into ufos i i really just don't know what to make of all that unless in fact we're dealing with you know, some kind of an imposter life form that can assume an appearance like that. It also explains why they suddenly disappear, or why someone can be watching them, and they just kind of seem to blink out of existence. It isn't that they're so hypernaturally fast or or camouflage well. I, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm open to that possibility anyway.
2: Yeah, we hear so many yeah. stories about so many things. You, you kind of have to think that maybe some of it... Is possibly supernatural. Nobody knows. Um, your maybe. theory about them being able to, you know, come into this world or whatever, or the theory of them coming into this world, whatever form they want to take, or coming in as a form of a Bigfoot, uh, you know, who knows? It's, it's so much yeah. to absorb and, and nobody knows. And um, maybe we'll never, we never will know. So, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's frustrating, but we know there's something out there. People are seeing something, see, right. uh, seeing things and, uh, you know,
1: yeah. That well, many people.
0: Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: That many people can't be wrong.
0: <laughs> That's exactly. You know, as a police officer, I could have put you in jail for 30 days just for not having a driver's license or a means of identification on your person. And I can tell you that the amount of evidence just on witness testimony, and we've all heard this before, but I could present a hell of a case to a courtroom and say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, six million people have uh, overestimated, of course, but you know, six million people have seen this guy do this thing and therefore he's guilty. <laughs> you
2: <know>? Right. And, <laughs> and before we started this episode, Rob, we didn't know that you were a police officer for some time. Um, so in saying that, I mean, you know, there's credibility there, um, you know, for you to go through what you've been through and, and, and believe what you believe. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you probably had to keep that a secret. I'm guessing uh, while, you're, while you were doing that, uh, probably
0: no, not really. Um, you know, it, it was a small department. Uh, Chief was a great guy; really enjoyed working with him. Um, and one of my one of my friends uh, actually was my field training officer. Um, so I didn't. I mean, if it came up in conversation, I'd talk about it. But it wasn't the kind of thing that normally going on shift or briefing after shift that you'd you'd talk about. But uh, right. They didn't have to keep that secret at all.
2: Gotcha. Well, before we wrap it up here, Rob, um, in that area that you're in, do you think that it's just more common that people see those things, that they don't report it, that it's just some kind of more of a natural thing that goes on there, and, and maybe that's why, that, it, like you said, you know, to talk about it on the police force, there wasn't really a big deal? I mean, do you think that's probably what, what's going on there?
0: Yeah, I think people never really know who to report to. You know, the Finding Bigfoot show from the BFRO or help, partially sponsored by the BFRO, I think for as much damage it did with goofy stuff, it did a lot of good, too, because it brought it into our living rooms. It made us right. use the term Sasquatch or Bigfoot. It made it commonplace. Mm-hmm. And that got a lot more people comfortable with reporting something. Um, I talked with a, a sheriff's deputy up there one night on that road. Uh, he uh, my wife and I were actually up there and I was running my thermal on this hillside and he pulled a car over in front of me and he came over and said, uh, Hey, I might be with this guy for a while. You might want to pull out where you can. And I said, you know, listen, I'm ex law enforcement, You're SOS in single officer squad, no backup. If that guy gets squirrely on you, I'll help you out. So he sat there and when he decided to hook and book the guy, why well, then he came back to talk me and he said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, you're not going to believe it, but we're actually up here, you know, just, looking for Bigfoot. I said, Oh, a buddy of mine, another deputy saw one just down the road here. And we and he across uh, the road in front of him, but I still don't believe in him. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, yeah. Uh,
2: It was a bear. It was a bear. That's yeah. uh, crazy. Isn't it, Rob? It's crazy. Yeah
1: it, yeah, it is.
2: Well, my gosh, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us, man.
1: Yeah. No kidding. Those are some great encounters.
0: Oh, I'm happy to do it guys. I love the program.
2: Well, thanks, well,
1: thank
0: man. you,
2: thank you. We appreciate yeah, you, you listening.
0: You really got me going with the Miller documents.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it you, you you know, got us going. Yeah, yeah. There's that. That's interesting in itself, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, but um,
2: well, man, if you're if you're out and about and you see anything else out there, uh, running into something else, I'm sure you're probably. Are you still investigating for the Bfro? Or
0: I haven't done anything for them in probably a year because the the reports fell off. Um, a lot of the times, the reports that were coming in. I'd go out and I'd meet with the people. It became obvious they were hoping to be on television.
1: Uh, okay.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of fanciful stuff and yeah, right. uh, yeah drama and and so I, I think when the TV program went away, a lot of fresh reports went away. I, I just checked it the other day, and there's a few on there. But you know, I've had a lot of training over the years in in interviewing and interrogation and detecting uh, false uh, false falsehoods and so there's reports that come through and and i look at them give them a quick glance you know and decide i don't want anything to do with them and so it's been a while since one popped up that that had the kind of hallmarks i'm looking for so
2: right
0: other than that, I just go out on my own do my own thing it just
1: goes to back to the thing that you know how many people see them and
2: just don't say anything
0: right I, yeah i think there's a lot of that yeah, yeah.
2: And you're definitely in the heartland of it for sure. Yes, you are right yeah. smack in the middle of it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, man, once again, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us and, uh, yeah, we do probably get you back on sometime soon and tell us some more stories. And, uh, if you see something else or have some more, uh, BFRO things you can talk about, maybe you can, uh, let us know about that too.
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Be happy to. I've got, uh, we haven't scratched the surface of some of the stuff that I've I'm gone sure. across. I'm sure. <laughs> I
2: mean, people don't want to listen for two hours, but we can. Actually, yeah, we I know. Can. No, I
0: know. You know, I'm no, no. no, not some old idiot like me, so yeah, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> no, it's been great, man. It's been great, really. We appreciate it. Yeah, man.
0: All you right. Know. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work.
2: We appreciate it, man. Thank yeah, you. Thank Take you. care.
0: Thank you very much. You got bye Bye.
2: Once again, man, good stuff.
1: That was an awesome show. That was, he has done a lot of stuff.
2: Man, being wow. a cop, um, BFRO, working with John Green, his, his oh, encounters. yep. Yeah. Really cool guy to talk to. Really cool
1: yeah, guy. that was fun. I wish we had more time.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. All uh, right, once again, thanks to all you guys for listening. We appreciate it. You guys are great.
1: Yes, we couldn't do this without you. Thank you, thank you.
2: Yep. Uh, if you've had an encounter and want to be on the show please contact us info at or look us up on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter where else Brian YouTube you name it we're there right
1: you name it we're there yep we are everywhere you want to be
2: right so <laughs> once again we're looking for some good encounters to come on the show and and talk to us and uh, yeah please the story out there so yeah bring to us yep get a hold of us Brian, once again, as always, man, been a good time hanging out and appreciate it. Always.
1: Always fun, brother. All right, man. Until
2: next time, we'll see you later.
1: See ya.